0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 63 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 17th of July 2011, entitled True Saving Faith, Part 1, and the Bible reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bibles for our scripture reading to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7 this morning as we look here we continue I've got my count right here we're number 63 in our series on contending for the faith and uh, we have looked the uh, uh, the last three Sundays at scriptural salvation one of the fundamentals of the faith one of those things that we've got to contend for and fight for and there can be no compromise in any way shape or form and really Probably for the next at least two, maybe three, we'll be looking here also falling right in behind that about true saving faith. True saving faith. Um, There is so much, uh, quote unquote, easy believism, easy prayerism, easy sign a card and get baptized and do all these things today. Folks, we need to be contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And I want you to notice in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at two passages, really. Uh, We'll be uh, looking at Matthew chapter 7 today, and then uh, later on we'll also be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, and out of these two passages, primarily uh, trying to uh, draw our thoughts on true saving faith. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word, beginning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, and reading down through verse 29. Matthew seven thirteen says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity." Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him, liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. We taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Father, we thank you again today for being here. Thank you for your preserved word that we have before us. Thank you, Lord, as we look there, that we have the promise of knowing that, Lord, it's your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us. Lord, that can take and make these words alive into our hearts. And for that, we pray at this time, in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. True saving faith, we have looked and gone through, hopefully, and covered in simple, basic, but clear terms what scriptural salvation truly is. But that brings us to this question of, okay, well, what is true saving faith? And I think that as we look here in this passage we find that the Word of God makes it very clear that everybody that thinks they're saved is not saved. That everybody that claims to be saved are not. And as a matter of fact, one of the shocking things about this passage as we begin to look here is that in fact, it's the Broadway that lots of people are on. And that's the broad way which they think is leading somewhere that they want to go. And yet, at the end, the Bible says there's only destruction. But yet, the narrow way that truly leads to his kingdom, he's the one, not this preacher. You know, I I don't want to keep anybody out. (laughs) I can promise you. But he's the one that says, few there be that find it. In other words, I'm not exaggerating. We'll be looking at this as we look through these verses. Folks, the truth is there are more people that thinks they're going to heaven that aren't on the right path than there are those that are on the right path to actually get them there. Now, that's quite an awesome thing. And I don't say that in any way to try to boast and to think, you know, we've got it all and nobody else does. I want us to understand with all of these things, our instructions are that we contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to you and to I. To contend for that faith, we find that as we look here today and over these next couple of messages, I hope that as we look into the Word of God, because you see, folks, it is very possible to have even what we would call an orthodox sound knowledge of God's word, but not to have salvation. Matter of fact, James writes to us in James chapter 2, and in verse 19, he says, Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils know a lot of facts. They believe that there is one God. They know that there is one God. But you can have all of that knowledge and still not be saved. I believe that we won't take time to read all of the passage, but as we look into Hebrews chapter 6, I believe that the Bible teaches us that it's possible to actually be enlightened, to actually have a taste, he says there, of that heavenly gift, to partake of the Holy Ghost, to taste of the Word of God, to experience the power of God, and yet not Have salvation. We find that in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, notice what he says there in verse 31 and 32. John, chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, Jesus is speaking here to his own followers. It's possible. To have this knowledge and to know it, to believe it, but to have no salvation, Jesus said, it's well that you believe it, but he says, if you're truly his disciples, then you're going to continue in his word. We find as we read through God's word, of course, Felix was almost persuaded, wasn't he? It's possible to feel guilt, to be convicted of your sin, but not to have salvation. It's possible to desire and want to be saved, but to never actually do it. It's possible to have all of the religion in the world and to be a very religious person just as the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus came down on so very hard and yet not have salvation. They had all of this Bible knowledge. They did all of the religious things. They served God in the temples. They did all these things, but yet they were not saved. You find that it's possible. It's possible to hear, to receive, to have faith, to even experience some measure of joy and yet not be saved. Just as Jesus gives us a story of the seed that fell on the rocky ground and it began to spring up, but then it withered away because it had no root. It's possible to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the King and yet to have no Salvation. We can turn right here in this same book and we won't for the sake of time, but turn to Matthew chapter 21 and you'll find that the same crowd that held Jesus as king as he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, the same ones that were placing their garments and branches down before him, yet the same crowd in a matter of days was the same crowd that was calling for him to be crucified. It's possible to hear God's word time and time and time again, as sad as it may seem, and yet to not be saved. James chapter one, verses 22 to 24. He says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner. Of man, he was. He speaks here of those who are hearers of the word. They hear it, but they don't do it. They don't act upon it. You see, there's no blessing in hearing what God has to say, but then continuing just to do your own thing as you want to do it. It's possible to be baptized and yet to never be saved. Here also in the book of Matthew, back in chapter 3, in verses 5 and 6, Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, then notice the next words, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. We find that it's not just the baptism in itself, You see, there are many today that would give even intellectual affirmation to all of these great theological truths. And yet, just because they know all those things, do you realize that there's only a few things you have to know in order to be saved? But you can know all these great theological facts, you can quote this book from cover to cover. And still not be saved. It's possible to be afraid of the consequences of sin and believe the reality of a world beyond that there is only two destinations. It's possible to fear going to that place called hell and to desire going to that place called heaven and yet to still die in your sins and never be saved. We see in our own reading here today in Matthew chapter 7, it's possible to confess him as Lord, to do all of these miraculous things in his name and still yet not be saved. You see, what we need to understand, and understand this, it would not be this preacher's desire to make anyone that's truly a child of God to doubt the reality of their salvation. But I make no apologies for challenging each and every one of you here today to examine yourselves and to know with absolute certainty that you're not caught up in one of these many, many, many things that people can be caught up in and yet not truly Be born again. Jesus is the one that spoke those words in John chapter 3 that we sang earlier: ye must be born again. There is nothing else. You see, I'm not up here today. I'm not going through this series on the importance of contending for the faith just so that we can make enemies and divide ourselves from everybody else. But I'm saying, folks the truth really does matter and we must stand up on that truth and there can be no true fellowship when we start pushing the truth away in order to have that fellowship it's possible for so many and we're going to see a vivid picture here of so many that are on that broad way and folks The broad way and the narrow way in this passage as we look through there, this is not talking about the people on the broad way that want to be going to hell, that have made that choice that they don't want to go to heaven. All of these people think that they're going to the same place. They all want to go to heaven. They all want something good at the end of it. They're all following a path. So that means you can know all the terminology You can have all the bits and pieces of religion. You can go through all the religious acts and formalities and yet never know what it is to be genuinely born again. That is a frightening thing. And there's only one person in all the world that knows that. And if there's anything in all of the world that you need to know, that you must know, it's the certainty of your salvation. You can be uncertain about just about anything else in life, but don't be uncertain about this. I ask you, what is true saving faith? Now, we don't believe like a lot of the religions around us, even some of those within Christendom, even some of those that we mentioned a few weeks ago that all of Christendom seems to be ready to join hands with and just pretend that it's okay and yet believe that somehow it's what we do and how we do it, how well we do it, that one day we'll stand before God and it just all depends on how we come out in the balance. And of course, some of our friends not only believe that they'll stand there one day and see how it comes out in the balance. They believe that you, if you happen to be unlucky enough to leave this world without being prepared, then maybe somebody else can pray enough prayers and pay enough penance to be able to get you out of there and get you back on the right side. Folks, that's not true saving faith. That's not the narrow way that the Bible is talking about here. We believe in a faith whereby that we've already seen that scriptural salvation. It's a sound salvation, it's a sure salvation, and it's a secure salvation We believe that. What is true saving faith? If we can know what true saving faith is, why do we live in a day when this preacher can stand before you? And I can say, I hope with all my heart that it's not the case here in this church this morning. But when you look at churches in general, All around the world, according to what we read here and according to what we see and according to what we know, there are more people sitting in those church pews and church chairs around the world that are unsaved, that are not on their way to heaven, even though they are practicing their religion sincerely. Maybe with all of their heart. We need to know what true saving faith is. And that's why, as we look at these passages, you see, God didn't do what He did. He didn't come to die upon that cross, to shed His blood, to go through all that He went through, so that you'd have to guess at it and figure it out. Now, I'm sorry. I do not mean this in any kind of an unloving way. I love all of my brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of what names they want to tag on themselves, regardless of where they might be, regardless of what they might call themselves. I love them. But today we live in a day when we, and it will become more and more so. And I have said this, and I don't say it because we're, desiring to be martyrs that we want to, to somehow go through and, and suffer, suffer, suffer for the Lord Jesus. Folks, if we stand up on the truths that we're talking about, we are going to become less and less popular. And Christendom, those that want to call themselves by the same name and identify themselves as Christians just like us. Folks, we are far from perfect. And if you're looking for a perfect preacher or a perfect church or a perfect Christian, you've come to the wrong place. But we strive. We strive with all of our being to try to stand upon the truths of God's word. And we don't have all the answers. And yes, we mess up sometimes. But we're talking about things that are fundamental and foundational to our faith that we cannot move upon Today, they would like for me to stand up here and say that, oh, well, we're all sincere. And after all, we're all trying to get to the same God. We just got lots of different ways of getting there. It's like the professor that was giving his science test to his university students And the final question on the exam was for them to actually take a barometer. And the quiz was for them to take that barometer and by using that barometer, tell him the height of this tall skyscraper that they were to go to the top of in the city. And so they got down and, you know, some of them were puzzled, and it was amazing, you know, some of the answers that he got because... One of them said, well, to use a barometer to tell you the height of the building, I could take and I could climb to the top of that building and I could tie a string onto the barometer and then I could drop the barometer off the side and when it got to the bottom, I could see how much string that it used and then I could take that string and I could measure that string and I could tell you exactly how tall that building was. Well, that would work, Ramani. (laughs) That's one way of doing it. But needless to say, that wasn't exactly the answer that he was looking for. The other one had this bright idea that, well, if he got it out there and positioned it just right with the sun, then he could place the barometer on the ground right beside of the tall building. And then by scientifically working out the difference in the height of the shadows, he could work out what the height of the building was because if this barometer projected a shadow this high and the building projected a shadow that high, then he could work it all out from that. One was really good. He said, you start at the bottom step with a barometer and a pencil, and you mark the barometer off each one, each step as you go up, and when you get to the top, the building's going to be so many barometers tall. Well, that's true. That's not what he was looking for. (laughs) You see, I'm saying that to say this. Today, that's what they're trying to get us to say is that we're all going to heaven. And there's all these different ways that we can use God's Word in order to get there. But folks, that's not true. That's what the Word of God itself, I believe, will show us very clearly as we look through here. This portion of Scripture that we have read here in Matthew chapter 7, it is the final closing statement of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It probably could be turned a Sermon on Salvation, probably would tell more about it than the Sermon on the Mount. In this closing portion of chapter 7 here, his closing comments, in other words, this is where he's trying to sum everything up and bring it down to what we say, down to the nitty gritty. We find that sometimes in our services, most of the time at the close of a sermon, there's like a conclusion of bringing the stuff together into a final conclusion to leave you in no doubt as to what it's all about. You see, the Scripture here acknowledges that there are two Proposed paths to God, but one is the path of human achievement, of all that man can do to get to God. The other one is a divine path, the only real path. You see, the Jews were experts on religion They were experts on this path of human achievement. I mean, they had it down pat. They had all their rules and all their laws and all their regulations and the way that everything was to be done. And that's really what the Jewish leaders were all about. And it's exactly why as we look through the scriptures that Jesus takes it and absolutely just smashes it to smithereens. He just rips it away from them. Of course, even in the early part of this sermon, he did a good job of that in all the blessed ours. (laughs) Blessed are these and blessed are those. And he absolutely showed their religion up for what it was. But here in these closing passages, what it comes down to really, from verse 13 down to the end, what we're really seeing here is that He's using this message of comparisons, comparing the proposed way of human achievement and his proposal of the divine way. We see here in this great comparison, which was a very common teaching method in the day, We're gonna see that he's comparing two gates, two ways, two destinies, two crowds, two trees, two fruits, two professions, two builders, two foundations, two houses. He's showing them the good and the bad. Folks, he does not want this message to be missed. He's showing them both and what works and what doesn't and what works and what doesn't and what'll get them there and what won't get them there. He's not leaving it open to doubt. We're going to spend the greatest of our time with the first comparison of the two gates. The two gates, because you see, that's the beginning point. That's the point of entry. If you really do get through the right gate, then you'll understand that all the other things, many of them will just fall into place. But boy, if you don't have the right starting point, there's no hope for the rest of it. Two gates. He said in verse 13 and 14, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. This is the entry point. This is where you get in. This is where you enter onto one of these paths, either the narrow or the broad. That's the two that there are. There's two points here to get on. What is real saving faith? Do you see what the first word is there? enter, enter ye at the straight gate. Can I say to you, first of all, listen, God is making this simple for us. First of all, if you want to get on the right path, you must enter at the right gate. There's no other way. It's a definite command. It's given in the imperative. In other words, this word enter is being given in the same way that were the penos if you were in a burning house and you were on the top floor and literally the flames were leaping at you and your only hope was to jump and trust those firemen to catch you that were standing down there with their big trampoline. <laughs> and somebody said, jump. In other words, there's an urgency. There's a right now he says, enter. You must enter. Enter you in at the straight gate. You must enter this way, this gate. You see, we know, I'm saying unashamedly, It's not religion, it's not your denomination, it's not your church, there's only one gate and that's Jesus Christ himself. He's the door, he's the entry point. There is no other way. There is absolutely no other point of entry. You see, you, you must enter and you must enter this way. Jesus is the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is it? No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's not hard to understand. It's simple. It's straight. He is saying here, Jesus, you must enter. And you must enter this way, by this gate. But notice... He says, you must enter the straight gate. You've got to do it this way, but you've got to do it alone. Do you know what this straight gate really is a picture of? Well, if you've ever, I can say this because I'm one of them. How, how many of have ever been to any of these mountain places, these mountain gorges? And a lot of times they They have one of these places where it's like, it's like the two mountains come together so close and a person can just barely fit in there. And a lot of times they call it the fat boy squeeze. (laughs) And the only way you can get in that crack is to take it and to suck it in and, and you can just squeeze in there because it's, it's that tight. It's that close. That's exactly. That's exactly what this word straight, that's the picture that he's getting across to her. You, you must enter. You've got to come through this gate, this straight gate, hemmed in like that mountain gorge. You've got to come in this way alone, the straight gate and the narrow way. Some people don't like this next part. Now people have heard me say it so many times. Folks, again, he's being given to us here. He's showing us this, this straight gate, this narrow way. It's, it's, it's not only this connotation of, of being restricted, but it carries with it the idea of actually <laughs> suffering affliction. Most people don't want to come to Christianity in order to suffer affliction. To have troubles, to experience sufferings, to feel pressures, to know antagonism by others. And yet, you must enter. And you must enter this way. And you must do it on your own. Enter ye in at the straight gate, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. You see, I've said many times, salvation is never, ever said to be easy. It's said to be simple. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy to let go of everything that you know. The idea here is, is one that is striving to do something that that's a challenge that's, that's difficult for them to do. Matter of fact, look over a few pages in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Jesus uses the word specifically here. On another occasion, speaking about this straight gate, Luke chapter 13. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 24. Jesus said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are, depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. They shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And Behold, there are last which shall be first. And there are first, which shall be last. Mm -hmm. You see, I do not want to make it any harder for anybody to get saved than it really is. But we're kidding ourselves. There's too many people that have kidded themselves, too many people that have deceived themselves. God's not going to turn anybody away. But there's only one entry point. There's only one gate to get into this narrow way. And his name is Jesus. And you're the one that must enter by that gate. And you must do it alone. And it's going to be difficulty. It's a narrow way. You're going to have to strive for it. Why? Because I'll guarantee you, Satan's going to be doing everything he can to keep you out your flesh isn't going to like it either. Everything that you've known, we find that you need to strive to get in this way. It's in stark contrast to much of what we see being practiced. The cheap grace, the easy believism of just say these words and you're okay. You're going to heaven as long as you've done that. (coughs) Why do you think that the picture that the Bible gives us of a lost person is one that's blind. He can't see. He can't know where he's going. Not only that, he goes a step further. Not only does he, does he picture this lost person as being totally blind, but spiritually dead. Have you ever seen a dead person be able to do anything for themselves God doesn't contradict himself here. He's saying that you must enter this gate, which is called Jesus, and you must do it alone yourself. You're going to have to strive for it. It's a narrow way. It's a difficult way. It's a challenging way. We find that we can look. We won't because time is getting away in Romans chapter three, which gives us this, Graphic picture of the condition of the lost person. I want to read you just one verse in Romans chapter 3 and verse 11, which says, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Now, that did not leave you out. That did not say that there is nobody except your name. He says there's none. There is none, zero, zilch, no one that understands. No one that will seek after God of their own accord. You see, we can't understand. The natural man can't understand spiritual things. Without God's Holy Spirit coming and convicting us and showing us, it's impossible your spirit has got to be awakened. And there is nothing that man can do today that only God can do that. And then there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a battle raging to let go of sin. You're deceiving yourself if you think that your flesh, your body is just going to want to let it go all of its own accord. Without the power of God, there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a battle. And there'll continue to be a battle. You know what? (laughs) Right here at the point of entry, at that point, sin is the only thing you know. You've never known anything else because we're all sinners saved by grace. Grace. But at that point, you've never known anything except sin. We find that repentance is what's going to be necessary. Repentance is something that wants to be overlooked. But I want to tell you something. That's what the striving here is all about. And we're 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 going to see that you have got to enter. And you've got to enter this gate and this gate alone. There's only one gate onto this path. And you're the one that can do it. You must do it alone. And you're going to have to strive for it. There's going to be some difficulties. There's going to be some challenges. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. The word of God says this. It says, then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 16. And in verse 16, the word of God says this, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. You find that in Acts chapter 14, And in verse 22, Acts chapter 14, verse 22 says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. There's many more places that we could look. You see, what I want you to grasp, the picture that's being given to us so clearly, this is not just a point that you come up and put your back sack on. Just add Jesus on to everything else you've got and head off a different direction with him. It's not a question of adding him on. It's a question of letting everything else go. Notice to sin. Notice self. We see here the self-denial. You've got to enter this way alone with difficulty and naked. <laughs> you can't bring anything with you. There's nothing else that you can get through there with. We find that, as a matter of fact, you've got to come in total submission to Christ. There's no room to bring along all your suitcases with all your belongings. <laughs> There's no room to bring along anything that pertains to you. We find that we must be totally, completely reliant upon him. And we'll come back. We'll look at the comparison. We'll look at the other side of this. But I want you to realize and understand, as we look into God's word, Jesus, in his own sermon. Not that what he says, not that the red words are any more God's word than anything in your Bible. This is a sermon that Jesus Christ preached himself here upon this earth. And he's wanting to make it very, very, very clear to us what it takes to get to heaven, what true saving faith really is. And the first thing that we've got to recognize is that there's two gates. There's two gates, two proposed ways to get to heaven. The one that we're looking at here, the only one that's going to get us on that narrow way is the straight gate. It's a gate that you must enter. You must enter it alone. You must enter it with some striving, with some difficulty. It's going to take some repentance and some letting go and some denying and some getting rid of things and in total submission to Jesus Christ and his Lordship. We could look at many other things, but I want to leave you with that thought, and God willing, we'll come back next week, and we'll look at the comparison to this. And I want you to know with absolute certainty. You see, I don't really care if you understand what my opinion is of saving faith. Or if you understand what the Baptists think saving faith is, what I'm really concerned in is that according to God's Word, if anybody can tell you how to get there, Jesus is the one. And Jesus is the one that's making it very clear here that there's only one gate. There's only one entry point. Jesus is that point, and it's a challenge. Few there be that find it, but that's the only way. That's the only place. If you've tried to enter anywhere else, then you're on that wrong road. You're on that wrong path. You need to strive for that narrow gate, for that straight gate, for that narrow way. Father, we thank you this morning as we look into this word that, boy, we can have the confidence because, Lord, as we have already looked at in scriptural salvation Lord, our salvation is something that we can know, that we can be certain in, that we can be sure of today. Lord, I would pray that even in looking here today, Lord, we've looked at some very simple truths in your word that you shared, that you've preserved for us for all of these centuries. And Lord, as we look there today, and as you speak to the hearts as only you can, Lord, because I can speak words that will go to the ears, but not beyond that. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts. If there are those here that have doubts today, if they're not sure that they've entered by the straight gate onto the narrow path, then I pray by the power of your spirit that you would show them that, nor that they could come to strive to enter in at the straight gate, at the only gate, that one called Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen.